Hi, you guys. Welcome back to the show. It's Marva here, back with episode 13 of the Self Love Monologues. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, and yeah, I decided that I'm going to introduce myself moving forward on every episode because I have a beautiful name, Marova, which by the way is Shona, the official language of Zimbabwe, and it means flowers. It is a name that I'm going to love again. It is a name that comes with a powerful legacy of resilience. It is a name that forces me to be present whenever I call upon it. So, yes, this is going to be a tradition from now on. Anyway, episode 13 focuses on career envy, which has been a subject that I've struggled with literally for as long as I can remember as someone who is so ambitious. And I'm sure that if you're a trailblazer, actually, you know what? You don't even need to be uh, this energetic go-getter trailblazer to resonate with the idea of career envy. It happens to all of us. So I decided that I wanted to unpack it. And I have a wonderful guest to share the conversation with. His name is Terrence Johnson. I met him on Twitter. Love him to death. Very smart. He's a film critic, rotten Tomatoes, certified film critic. He is also a writer, a screenwriter, and he directs. He's got it going on. <laughs> He's got it going on. Um, so yeah, we talked about this and we're very candid with our feelings. And I'm sure if you've listened to the episodes by now, you know that's my brand. Um, so please make sure that you share the content with your friends and your family that understand the struggles of career envy, especially the anxiety and the depression that ensues as you kind of dig yourself into that hole of self-deprecation. Don't forget to do that. And also share my Instagram, obviously, especially since I'm going to be posting Terrence Johnson's um, social media information as well as his website and all the other things that he does. Um, just to remind you, my Instagram is at Mandela's Disciple, at M-A-N-D-E-L-A-S-D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E, at Mandela's Disciple. Other than that, I'm not going to waste any more time. Let's jump right into this. I'm just going to get right on to it here, Terrence. So my first question for you here. Um, what does making it mean to you, Terrence? And by this, I want you to paint a picture of the dream that's keeping you up at night, oh, um, the reward waiting for you on the other side of the tracks when your time comes. What does making it mean to Terrence Johnson? Um, that's a good question. If you, there's like two, there's like two versions of this that play in my mind. Um, one of them is to like I want to go into into writing um and so one of making it would be like getting in the immediate <laughs> would be like getting a staff writer job on a tv show um because I you know I have a writer's group that I meet with weekly um for the most part um and I'm constantly working on stuff you know, because COVID in particular really sort of forced me to take stock of the fact that I had more time to write, um, as well as working from home. Um, so that would be like getting that job, being able to work in that room, you know, writing an episode of television would be making it. Overall, like for me, making it would be like getting to do the things that I want to do 
with my art. Um, I would, you know, everybody wants an Oscar. I would love an Oscar. I'd love an Emmy. I'd love a Tony. I'd love all of those awards, right? <laughs> but getting to make movies, getting to make television, you know, working with a group of people to be able to do that, I think would really be me making it. Um, because, you know, awards can come or they cannot, but like getting to do the thing that you want to do is what is more important. So making it for me would be able to, to keep making, you know, make something, a movie or a TV show, have somebody give me money to make another thing, and, you know, just keep <laughs> doing that process. That's what making it would look like to me. Okay. So when it comes to that art that you're talking about that you want to create, once you do make it, like whatever, whether it's a movie or a TV show, does the impact that it has matter in terms of how you rate whether or not it's you've made it? Like, do Ooh. you, you know... I feel, like, I feel like art is a conversation. Um, yeah, the impact I want that to have is to give, you know, queer people a good love story. You know? Um, and to talk about, you know, gentrification um, and all of these things. So even, even when I'm working on the simplest idea, it's always about the impact. Like when I shot my werewolf short film, when I was in film school, it was like I wrote that specifically because of Teen Wolf. And I really, really wanted, you know, gay werewolves, <laughs> but mm. like not afraid, you know, to be gay werewolves. Um, and so, yeah, making it, it would be the impact. Like, that's why I say about awards. And it's not even about box office. It's just like, if I made that gay love story and like, it touched somebody's life like that would be enough mm. um i'd love more <laughs> <laughs> i'd love more but like that would be enough you know that you know making something that it it resonates with with somebody um that would be enough yeah i wanted you to explain more about for me art is in, is a conversation like what mm -hmm. Mean by that, like unpack that for me. Um, I think that art is a conversation just because, particularly with films and television, you know, your visual arts, like your hard sort of core visual arts, like your paintings, um, sculpture, things like that, those are a conversation, but not quite in the same way that film and television are because film and television. And, you know, Broadway on the stage um, are so much about people collaborating together to make something. Like, even when you have a one-person show, somebody's doing your lighting, somebody's helping you build that set. Like, you're not, you're, you're literally never doing anything all on your own. So it's always a conversation. But then it's also a conversation between you and the audience. So, like, you work to write something, you make it, and then you send it out into the world. And then like, once you send it out into the world, it's almost not yours anymore. It's the people who have watched it and taken it in. Um, and in doing so, you're now having a dialogue between you and your audience, 
they can either like it or they cannot. They can respond back. And then specifically for episodic television, it's even more of a conversation because if you want these people to come back week after week, even if they binge it, you want them to come back year after year. You want them to tweet about it. You want them to do all of these things. And so, you know, you do a storyline and then the audience is like, hey, I like that or hey, I hated that. So it, all art is a conversation. You can't just, because you're asking people to support with their money or their time, and so it has to be worthwhile. Um, and so that, you know, I think of, I never really think about like, what somebody will say back to me when I'm making something in the moment. In the moment, I'm more concerned with like, am I telling the story right? And then after that, I love to have conversations about things that I've made, you know, talking about the character motivations and the way we shot things and, and all of that and what people got out of the story. But yeah, it's, it's really important to not think of your audience as just people out there who are just going to watch the show and then be done with it, you know, or you are investing in people and hope that they will invest in you. So what hurts the most about your grind, Terrence, or should I say your hustle? Is it the inevitable impatience? Is it the uncertainty of the film and television industry? Is it the stiff competition? I don't know if I have a most. I have lots of things that annoy me. Um, sure. So I'm, I'm patient, mm-hmm. right? But I'm not very, very patient. I have always been annoyed by the idea that like you have to be in a job to get the job that you want. Mm. Um, and to some extent, it makes sense. You know, I came up, for people who don't know, uh, I got my bachelor's of science in civil engineering, Georgia Tech. Um, and so I was working as an engineer before I started this career towards working in film and television. Um, and in that respect, they're not going to make me, you know, new civil engineer graduate, the head of a multi-billion dollar project, right? That makes sense. You want to work your way up. But like in Hollywood, there is this idea that like you have to work your way up here too in certain positions, particularly when it comes to writing. It's like you got a PA on the show. Then maybe you get bumped up to the writer's assistant. Then maybe you get bumped up to being in the room. And then maybe you get bumped up to being a staff writer. And it's like anybody in those four positions I just listed could write. Writing, I feel, is a great equalizer to an extent in Hollywood because Mm -hmm. it's the one thing nobody can prevent you from doing. Um, So anybody's listening to this that wants to, you know, write for film and television, like, nobody in Hollywood is stopping you from writing what you want to write. They might be stopping you from making it, (laughs) but nobody is stopping you from writing it. Um, And so I don't, I don't like the idea of that. And so it starts to create a little bit of envy when you see people who are getting to do the things that you want to do. But like, I have friends who have been assistants and love their jobs, but I also have friends who have been assistants and haven't moved up yet, you know? And, like, 
that's sort of a key track. So it's that that's one. I think Hollywood in particular, I would say competition, but not in like I'm not afraid of competing. I am very competitive. <laughs> Which you know. <laughs> uh, I'm very competitive. Um Hollywood is such a weird it's unbalanced competitiveness, right? It's a business built on relationships. Um, it's a business sort of built on status. So it's like, I noticed that since I started film school to the time that I am right now, the changes in the type of people that they admit to fellowships. And so, you know, when I was in film school, um, like, you could see two to three people in a fellowship that had no production experience. That was very common. Now, you'd be lucky to get one across all of them um, because it's so heavily weighted to being a staff writer. Now, being a staff or being a writer on something or a writer's assistant that gives you a lot of experience to be able to hone your writing and you could get, you know, professional help. But it's like, are those people that much more talented than the person who, you know, doesn't have this leg up? Do the people who are in those positions already with potential for connection need this fellowship to continue to get that leg up? And so that's something that I have had to have a come to Jesus moment with myself about mm -hmm realizing the space that i'm in like i i will keep doing my best um mm. but as it as it comes to fellowships it's like i know that i'm fighting an uphill battle with that specifically because i'm not staffed on a show i'm not paing um you know i have my job and i will keep that job until i don't want to keep that job anymore <laughs> um you know but my job is not in that and so it's like how how do you gain access to those spaces? And then it's like, you know, is your dad the head of a studio like Ben Platt? Ben Platt is extremely talented. <laughs> extremely talented. Yeah. But like his dad is super important at NBC Universal. Yeah. You know, it's it's all you have and then like this so that's what i mean by like this competitive it's like unbalanced competitive it's like unbalanced competition because it's like you have the ben platts of the world mm -hmm. we'll just use actors as an, as an example you have the people who have actually gone to acting school you have the models you have and then you have people who casting directors just discover walking down the street mm -hmm. all potentially going up for the same role um it's what's really annoyed me about this to take a slight tangent because it's a part of this also it's like it's what really annoyed me about this conversation between like black british actors and black american actors and what roles they're taking Ooh. um because a lot of the conversation surrounding that is like oh well black british actors go to drama school so like they're better and for me it's like one a job is a job so whoever gets the role gets the role <sighs> I have an issue with when Black British actors sort of take that to heart because it's like, you know, you look at somebody like Winston Duke, uh, M'Baku on Black Panther. Mm -hmm. He went to Yale drama school. 
finest shit, by the way. Oh, <laughs> love very... <laughs> Absolutely love him. But like the uniform. He went to, he went to Yale Drama School. Mm-hmm. You know, and didn't get his big break until he got into this comic book movie. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? It's like Danielle Brooks mm. went to Juilliard. Um, you know, our queen, Audrey McDonald, went to Juilliard. I mean, she's had yeah. a York. A yes. New York prize in her career, uh, career, uh, oh. Godra, as I call her. But you know, oh. it's like think about like Winston Duke, trained actor from a famed acting school, has to compete with who? Who? There was another black celebrity that said that they went out for Mbaku, um, whose name I can't remember. But it's like they didn't necessarily go to acting school, and and so. That is really tough about this industry is like you never quite know if you're good enough to get the thing that you want. Um, and that's really hard for some people to swallow. Uh, and then just like the we, we live in an interesting time because we have this iPhone and the ability to record things on our phone. So production mm-hmm. is cheaper, but production is not cheap. Mm-hmm. I want people to realize that, um, which is why writing is, it's like, even if you're a director, you need to be writing because you don't need money to do that, but you need money to shoot something. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, those are the things that sort of pop up in my brain when, I, when, you, when you say most, mm. those are the things that pop up first. It's so funny when you talk about this unbalanced um, you know, situation in Hollywood. It's kind of like, it, it's weird because as you said, there's a democratization aspect of it because anyone can get what they, the, anyone can get the spot, but th- that also has an unfair advantage because as you said, someone like Winston Duke, is, it's going to take him years to finally get the exposure that he needs. But I want to go back to a couple of things that you mentioned, which I loved. You said that you are learning to really hold and take up the space that you're in and mm-hmm. do, your, do your best, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and understanding that, that it's enough. You know, your best is always going to be enough, whatever it looks like. Um, the second thing, too, I wanted to dive into that envy that you were talking about here. So walk me through a moment in your life when it was hard for you to watch one of your peers receiving an opportunity that you had worked so hard to get. Um, oof. The key to this is you have to realize that the person that you might feel that envy for is talented. Um, and, and film school really helped me with this. I had a classmate in film school who, like, we were given an assignment to make a five minute short film, right? That was the assignment. Five minute short film, non-sync sound. People would give this classmate, not people, the teachers. And this, I say that I'm over this, but this still annoys me to this day because it was so stupid. Um, And at, at the end of every year, we present our movies and she, would get the feedback of, 
oh, the visuals are really great. And I'm sure when you do the eight minute cut, it'll be great. And I would just be sitting there like, am I dumb? <laughs> because when I read the syllabus for this class and it said make a five minute movie. I didn't know that I had the option to make something that didn't work as a five minute movie, but would work as something longer. <laughs> like I was told that I needed to make a five minute movie that worked. Mm-hmm. And she would just be getting these heaps of praise because she was very gifted visually. Um, but it was like, but the way that film school operates is like the school is the studio. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, when the studio says your movie needs to be two hours, do you think they're going to let you have a two and a half hour movie? No, mm-hmm. because they said it needed to be two hours. So you better chop off 30 minutes. And so like that was so annoying because we would be like, we are never going to get to use. We're never going to get excused like that. And she just kept getting it. And it happened all the way up into her thesis her thesis was like the first time that she really had to deal with you know particular criticism about the runtime and I was like we're three years into a program man like y'all should have been dragging her that first movie like I don't want to hear this we're we're we all should not be operating under different standards like I knew one of my fellow classmates Solomon Onita he was able to make a great movie in the runtime um, and it got picked up by HBO and he just shot his first feature this year and he got into the Warner Brothers television thing. And so like, I can be envious of him getting into Warner Brothers, you know, TV directors program, but like, that's just not my path at the moment. But like, it's hard be- being in this industry because sometimes you can see this, these things up close and that is what creates the envy. So you really do have to remember that they're talented. So like, with that particular girl, I was like, she is definitely talented visually. And also, I don't know how well she's going to work in this industry because she can never adhere to a time limit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, but that's real. Like, if your film school is training people to be filmmakers, whether independent or otherwise, like, you, you can't be out here not teaching them how to adhere to the restrictions that they are given. Um... And to me, that really annoyed me the entire time I was there because it just got me thinking about the industry in like bad terms. But I also say that film school helped me think about the industry in a much more collaborative way because you see, we all got into film school, but we are all not on the same talent level. That doesn't mean Mm -hmm. we all can't be successful Mm -hmm. and grow, but it definitely helps you work with different types of people. So that, that really helped out. That first one. What was the second thing that you said that you asked? No, that was it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Literally, yeah. I was just asking you to kind of like unpack like a time where like you felt those emotions. And I'm glad um, you said what you said, but you were still midpoint. I went like I'm waiting. I was just waiting for you to finish. <clears throat> yeah, it's it's hard. This mm. this industry, unlike any other, even 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 as a film writer. A film critic. Um, it is so easy to fall into a pattern of jealousy and envy with people. It is so easy to do that because 
this is an art form that requires like a lot of your soul. And so when people don't pick you, you feel like they hate you, which is not necessarily the case. <laughs> mm. But like, it can feel like people are saying that, you know, if you write something, you're like, oh, this is so heartfelt. This is my life story. And people are like, well, we don't want to make it into a movie. And you think they're calling you trash. Um, but then you see like your friends and your peers excelling. And so it's really like you really have to focus on you. It's good to look at what other people are doing who have been successful and like emulating them. So if you know somebody who got into a fellowship, like asking them if you could look at their essay and their submission materials is smart because you can see what they did well and what they didn't do well. Like I remember I have a good friend, Christine, who got into this film independent fellowship. And I told her, like, it took me a week to write my essay. And she was like, oh, I wrote it like 10 minutes before I was supposed to submit. And I was just like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> she, she did something in 10, probably like 30 minutes, not just 10 minutes, but like 30 minutes and got into this program. And I spent a week on this thing and I did not get in, you know. But like, Christine is very talented. I can't begrudge her getting in. I just need to continue to work on myself. So it's like, it's very easy to get stuck in that spiral. Um, And all it does is it hurts you. It's not hurting the person who got the thing that you wanted. It's just gonna hurt you if you focus on on that. So you just kind of have to chip away at it um, and keep doing, staying in your lane and doing what you're doing. And and hopefully one day that opportunity will be there. Hmm. It's rare that the Ryan Kuglers of the world are rare. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is like Ryan Kugler grew up in the Bay Area, you know, Bay Area represent, um, went to Sac State, <clears throat> got into USC, wrote a feature about Oscar Grant. Um, it caught the eye of some people at USC while he was in the screenwriting program there. They introduced him to Forrest Whitaker and Octavia Spencer. He got the money, he made the movie, and he was well off on his career. Um, usually, things don't happen that way. <laughs> mm-hmm, no. They don't happen that way. They don't happen that, and I'm not even going to say the word easy, simple. They don't happen that simply. Um, because Hollywood is a big machine. Like, there are people looking for the next Ryan Coogler, but that sort of, like, path to making your first feature, to doing Creed and making it to making a billion dollars with Black Panther um, does not happen to everybody. There's a reason why he is the first Black director to do that type of stuff, mm-hmm. you know? Um, because there's only been one. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so it's easy to look at his career and be like, well, why didn't my script out of film school get picked? Or why has nobody me given money to make a feature about the Bay Area? And it's like, that's not what you should be taking away from that. That shouldn't be on your spirit. Um, Mm -hmm. Don't don't let that kind of stuff sit on you because it will just weigh you down. I think one thing you could learn from his experience is, as I mentioned, he grew up in the Bay Area. You know, both of I think he was in L.A. when when Oscar Grant was murdered. Um, 
and I was in the Bay Area. And so, like, he wrote about it. And his take on that story, you know, worked with the family, wrote about it, and that is what, you know, got him his big break. So I'm sure he wanted to be the next big director, but, like, he's not concerned in himself with other people. You know, look at somebody like Barry Jenkins. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, how long was it? Eight years between first movie and second movie? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then he won an Oscar. Mm. <laughs> you know? Um, and now we all love Barry Jenkins, and we can't wait to see what he does next. And Yes. But, yes. you know, he he took... That's a, Eight years is a long time. Almost a decade. Between making a movie. <clears throat> you know, you think about like Woody Allen makes a prior to the mess that he is currently in right now, made a movie every year. That's an outlier. That's really hard. Mm-hmm. But eight years is also a long time um, from a well-regarded debut feature to your next movie. And so you really just have to focus. I think the main thing to take away from other successes is really just looking at how they position themselves to receive the success. Less about the success, you know? So like, if I know somebody who got into a writer's fellowship, like I do know somebody who went through those and I was like, can I see your essay? Mm. How did you write this? Because a lot of these essay questions be like, Tell us about a time in your life and how and how you'd be valuable to the room. And I'm like, my life, you know, knock on wood, has been relatively tragedy free. <laughs> I do not have, you know, oh, my parents died when I was two and I had to walk uphill both ways to go to school. And like it snowed while I was walking. Mm. And oh, I had to fight my entire... Like, I don't have that story. Mm-hmm. But, like, what is my story? I have interactions that have shaped who I have been. And so, like, you need to be focusing more on that. And so it's really, like, look at how other people put themselves in line to achieve their success and figure out how to forge a path that would work for you. It's sort of the really... That's the way, that's the way to cut down on all of that because like I know you mentioned in your email when you invited me on this podcast that you were you know struggling with sort of like career envy and it's just like it's hard I, I think I think it's healthy to feel those feelings because mm-hmm. you know you're alive <laughs> 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 but it's also just like you their success should not impede you from treating them like a person wow um that's powerful and i think the other thing that you mentioned that really entered my spirit and my core which was the very first thing was remember that that person is talented Mm -hmm. start from that space by acknowledging that that person has what it takes that's why they're there i think that that's that's going to completely change how i look at everybody that I get envious of. Because usually I just yeah. put them in this little box and I just start cussing them secretly, 
you know, and then outwardly on the happy. I know it. And I think the thing the thing is sometimes they might not be talented. <laughs> you know, they they might not. Um you know, I did we talked about the levels of actors, like, you know, I think about somebody like Charlie Hunnam, who you know, was found by a casting director when he was working at a women's shoe store. Um, so, like, he might not be as talent, quote unquote, talented as, um, you know, somebody coming out of drama school. But is he going to work on his craft? Is he gonna, you know, everybody brings something to the table. Um, and particularly in this industry, it's a lot about the visuals and the box office. But like in other industries, you know. You just got everybody is talented in some way. Everybody has something that somebody else is looking for. Um, and that just might not be you at the moment. Mm-hmm. You actually just answered my next question because I was going to ask you, what do you do to refocus your energy after comparing yourself? But you've already literally unpacked everything that you do. You focus yeah, on yourself. Part of, this, you know. part of this is because of how I grew up. Um, uh, because I've, I, have, I have waged these wars. Um, of comparison my entire life because my parents I was I'm I was very smart I am very smart um I have two degrees to show for it uh you know let me pat myself on the back there Uh, (laughs) but like when I was growing up I was one of the the few black kids and maybe the only black boy who was like going toe-to-toe with the top with my top academic peers, particularly as I started getting to sixth grade and up, it was like I started taking advanced classes and all these things. And my parents, love them dearly, would always be like, well, if so-and-so can get this grade, why can't you? And I, like that really messed me up for a while. Um, and I had to learn how to not be jealous of my friends because like I was friends with all of those people. And so it would be, I would be so annoyed at like being compared to, you know, like one of my good friends who literally has a doctorate in nuclear engineering, right? Like me and her went to school together and we would get compared all the time. (laughs) And it's like, we didn't know she was gonna go on to get her doctorate in nuclear engineering. We just knew she was very smart you know but I was also in these classes with her and they'd be like oh why don't you go study with Teresa and it's like can I can I just be friends with these people like can (laughs) I can I just be but can I stand on my own merit can my work the work effort that I'm putting in not be linked to somebody else and what somebody else is doing Mm -hmm. um and we had I had some battles growing up um (laughs) But I think that was that has helped me now later in life because I don't want I don't want to be that if I ever you know have children I don't want that to be a thing that I tell them because I think it's so easy to breed contempt for other people that way. But then also just like it really helped me at an early age be like the grades they are getting are the grades that they are getting and I'm just gonna go in there and do my damn best and hopefully mm-hmm. we will be the same. Mm. And there's literally nothing more I can do than that. Um, 
and you just have to you just have it's it's hard like i'm saying all of these wise things <laughs> oh, i get it <laughs> it's hard see good <laughs> you know, I, I have a good friend who's a writer's assistant and she's really great at writing and like if she got into a writer's fellowship tomorrow like 99.9 percent of me would be ecstatic for her mm-hmm. and point one would be like well it's another year i didn't get in trying to get that point one to zero is <laughs> it's really really difficult um and i don't know if there's ever i don't know if there'll ever be a time where i'm uh, maybe when i've made it <laughs> even then you know maybe somebody will get a project that i wanted to do yeah you know that's what i'm dealing with a lot with right now is like i feel like i'm doing the work and positioning myself to be open to an opportunity but like as i'm doing the work and presenting myself to be open somebody is already a level above me mm-hmm. getting to make you know more happy than not which is this book that i loved into a television show mm-hmm. right they're working on that. and my dream would have been like to get to make that book into a movie Mm-hmm. Right, so somebody else is working on something that I've dreamed. So you gotta throw that dream away. Yeah, you know. So like, even when you, but when you've made it, that's gonna happen. You can't make everything. No, no. It just there's too there's just too much. So it really is difficult. <laughs> you know, somebody difficult. somebody told me that your blessings are yours. Nobody can can't take them. Ooh, that yeah. person's yeah, so that person's blessings are theirs. And nobody, you can't take them away. But Terrence, tell me three core things that you love about yourself in no particular order. I know it's one of those questions. <laughs> oh, I'm so mean to myself. So this is really interesting. Um, I've learned to be a little bit kinder to myself in, in quarantine. Um, and, and particularly my, my um, New Year's theme rather than goal, my New Year's theme was uh, stability and grace. Mm. Uh, I'd say resiliency mm. is the thing that I love about myself. I did not know I was resilient as I was. Mm. Um, but like now that I know that I'm resilient I'm like alright bitch anything <laughs> I know that I can recover it might take some time but I know that I can recover and I love that about I love I loved learning that about myself I wish I didn't have to go through what I went through to find that out um, I love that I am imaginative. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that I have, and with that, it's just that I have been, I understand the technical aspects of so many things that now I don't have to rely on, like I can be imaginative, I can think outside of the box. I can really trust that that technical knowledge is baked in there. Um, third thing oh gosh what is the third thing that i love about myself um i love that i'm 
sort of going off of this conversation, I love that I have that I'm not as envious as I used to be. Wow. I like that. <laughs> I like that. So by giving me a set of adjectives, what kind of America are you going to be wishing for the day that you go in and cast your vote? Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> I know it's a heavy one. That's why I, I said adjectives. <laughs> I think, because I think that when you, when you oh, this is what is so difficult about America, and I'm sure it's hard in other places, but that's, it's particularly difficult here because it's like, you have to be thinking about so much <laughs> when you cast a vote. You have to be thinking about yourself, your county, your state, your federal government, the person who's supposed to be leading you, you have to think about the person next door who might have a condition. You have to think about, you know, and some people don't think about these things and that's why we see them vote the way that they do. But like, for me, it's like, I don't want to put somebody in office who like is going to make my life objectively better at the expense of somebody else. So that is what I hope we will, I hope we will vote for the fact that like, you know, the highest court in our land just lost a member. And like, if the right person is not, in, if the right person is not installed, any sort of civil rights case, voting rights case, abortion, um, is not going to go your way for like 50 years. <laughs> and you have to have that in your mind when you cast your vote. And so that my objective is that people will like really, really look at the options and really, really think forward in casting their vote. Um, so that'd be my objective. Mm. Um. As a lasting note, I want you to finish this sentence for me. My life matters because. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> My life matters because of the work that I do and the people that I impact, no matter what level I am at. Hmm. Thank you so much, you guys, for listening to the latest episode of the podcast. This was a very sensitive subject matter for me because I have struggled with envy, I think, for as long as I've known in my entire life. Because just like my guest, I was raised to be someone who was supposed to excel all the time. I always had to be number one, and I was. I was actually, I was a top academic student. Um, in my classes and it put a lot of pressure for me to keep that up so once real life started happening which is always the case when you become an adult I finally had my losses I started losing things losing opportunities not measuring up to certain things and then that's when I started looking around me and developing that jealousy that insecurity that envy and I just kind of held on to it and didn't really do anything about it up until now now that I'm living such an intentional life, now when I always look at my emotional inventory to see if there's anything in there that needs to go away because it doesn't add any value. So I hope that this conversation actually 
gives you insight into your own journey as you try to achieve your goals. I think the most important thing that I took away, well, I took away a lot of things from my conversation with Terrence, but a big, big, big thing that he said, and I want it to be the last note of this episode, is that the person that you're looking at and being envious of is talented. Or they too did something, they worked hard or did something to get to where they did. And it's just not your path right now. But it's your responsibility to do the work so that you're in a place to receive. Share the podcast, please. Share the podcast with someone that you know that can benefit from this. My um, my Instagram, once again, is at Mandela's Disciple. Um, That's M-A-N-D-E-L-A. S-D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E, Mandela's Disciple. Um, Continue tuning in. Love you guys.